Loosen up those bolo ties because it's time to take a nap after church. You're listening to Polygonometry. This is a family podcast where each week I sit down with a member of my family and we talk about what it's like growing up with really tacky neckwear. Uh, so I, uh, I'm, I'm so stoked that you guys are listening. First off, I just you know, looking at the looking at the numbers, uh, we're we're kind of dipping a little bit, and that's okay, guys. Um, it's summer. People are doing things. School is out. The world is opening back up. Oh my God, dude. Okay, so quick little anecdote. I went out to the diner a few nights ago, and guess what? It was open past midnight. Weird. Absolutely weird. Um, diners are supposed to stay open 24-7. I don't know if that's uh, a rule for all diners, um, but that should be a thing. Like, if I was president, I would say 24-7, let's create some jobs. Um, because diner coffee is so gross, it's good. Anyway, um... Yeah, guys, we're at part three. This is the last one of the entire CES letter. And I tell you what, guys, it was such a great conversation. And if you've been listening in for the last few weeks, um, I appreciate the ever-living goodness out of you. It's true. Um, To me, you guys are basically like Bob Ross mixed with Steve Irwin and Fred Rogers all together with a little bit of sassiness of Alex Trebek. I'm just saying. Um, So, guys, I hope you enjoy the episode. Have fun. I love you. Polygonometry. Uh, he, uh, in, in September of 1998, uh, President Gordon B. Hinckley uh, went on Larry King. Um, and Larry, <laughs> Larry King asks him, do you, you condemn polygamy? Like, you condemn it. And uh, Papa Gordon says, yes, I condemn it. Yes, as a practice, because I think it is not doctrinal. And that is weird because of section 132. <laughs> yep. And he also said, like, like I told you, that was my moment of, wait a minute, either you aren't like a real prophet because you are lying or you're not a real prophet because you with the priesthood who can talk to God don't know about polygamy like I do as I guess I would have, you know, like 11, 12 years old at the time. I was born in 87. So must have been closer to 11, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember just being like, there's no other way. It's one or the other, because he was saying, oh, it's a really small amount. We didn't have a lot of polygamists. And also, you know, it ended a long time ago and it was really for the widows. We, you know, if we didn't want to leave the widows behind, okay, first off, you don't need to marry someone to take care of them. If they're part of your group and you're really great humanitarians, you're just going to make sure the group's taken care of. You don't need them to be sleeping with somebody to be taking care of them. Exactly. But. I was like, Hinkley, your grandpa was a polygamist. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know, like, what are you talking about? That's so funny to me because it's like, wait a second. It's such a simple, like, trump card in a way where yes. you're just kind of like, well, well, no, that's not, no, because your grandpa was. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm like, did you forget? Yeah. Because you, you would have known the wives. Yeah. You would have grown up around them. Yeah, totally. Um, and the the phrase that uh, Jeremy Runnels uses um, is pretty powerful. Um, 
He says, polygamy is doctrinal. And this is Jeremy Reynolds speaking, not, not uh, Gordon B. Hinckley or Larry King. Um, he says, polygamy is doctrinal. Poly polygamy is not doctrinal. So he's highlighting the contradiction. And he says, yesterday's doctrine is today's false doctrine. Yesterday's prophets are today's heretics. Yeah. Which is very powerful because yesterday's prophets, what he's meaning by that is yesterday's prophets, as in like Brigham Young, uh, mm -hmm. Lorenzo Snow, you know, these, these former uh, prophets, are today's heretics by the current prophet's standards. Which is true. It's right? so true. So which is it? Because it can't be both. Yeah. It can't be both. Either it is or it isn't in this situation. And I'm always an advocate for nuance. I'm always an advocate for looking at the gray area. Always. But for this one, it does not, you can't have it both ways. Either <laughs> either we're going to teach that Joseph Smith was a, was a total polygamist, or he wasn't, and you have to, you have to, you know, <laughs> you have to lay it out because people, well, it, it's, it's basic. I mean, it's just manipulation, essentially. Well, and the fact that he said that on Larry King, that proves right there that this was not ordered by God because Larry King just said this was not doctrine, which means these were nothing more at best than affairs, but at worst, a serious sexual abuse. You know what I mean? Like if it's not doctrine, if God didn't say you need to do this, then he's doing it out of his own sexual that's such a good point that's such a good point because like that's that's what he's saying you know right like i mean that's what he's admitting it's well, not yeah, doctrine okay because... so god didn't command that then that means that he was doing these things on his own actions and not through god yeah. so according to larry king joseph was a either you know at best serious man with serious affair issues well according that's the best case according not according to larry king according to gordon b hinckley yeah that's yeah. what i mean like, according to according the to prophet of the words. church yeah, like, because once once you say one or the other, they we all of a sudden get into two different meanings. Like, yep. if it is doctrine, then it's like, okay, so you're doing that under religious practices, and it's a little quirky, it's a little weird, we don't condone it, but it's a little, you know, okay. And then they had this stuff in 1890, which... Um, which is an entirely different story, but um, and then, but you highlighted it perfectly. Like so, so it's not doctrinal. So what does that mean? Yeah, and that is a lot God, more malicious. Yeah, God didn't. If it's not doctrine, God didn't say to do it. That means that 132, the most sacred scripture, like Revelation, which is what a lot of the leaders has said that 132 is the most. And Joseph said that that this is the most sacred thing that God has given me, according to Gordon B. Hinckley. That didn't come from God because that was not doctrine. So, yeah, and I mean, the contradictions between all of the various prophets that have come down the line since, you know, Uncle Joe uh, have have really, you know, I mean, Runnels talks about it. He's like, why are there, you know, so many contradictions between what Brigham Young said versus what Gordon B. Hinckley says or exactly. what Spencer, Spencer W. Kimball says versus, you know, Harold B. Lee or whoever, right? And I'm not saying those two, I'm just using those as just examples. I'm not saying that Harold B. Lee and Kimball had, you know, issues with each other or whatever, but. Well, but I mean, they're all talking to God supposedly. So shouldn't it be like you said, more consistent? Yeah, totally. Um, and, <laughs> and then another thing that I just love about what he gets into um, in this little chapter uh, is not only because um, he dips into the race stuff, um, and he references Second Nephi chapter five verse twenty-one, which I've talked about numerous times on the podcast. Um, basically, talking about how uh, you know it's talking about the curse of black skin, 
Um, and uh, the thing that I want to talk about, though, is uh, good old Mark Hoffman and the White Salamander Letter and everything else. Did you watch Murder Among the Mormons on Netflix? No, but I read the book more than, you know, I think it was 15 years ago or something. I, well, maybe 12. I read the book it was based off of. Okay. And so I started watching it and it, I didn't get very far into it just because I already read the book. The book is wild. Like it, I should probably just finish the documentary, but I can tell you that I have talked to people who finished it. And there were things that I read in the book that I remembered that they didn't cover. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend, um, I, I can't remember what it's called. I think it might be called Mormon Murders or, you know, something like that. But yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, I highly recommend watching the documentary. Um, and Me too. I, I mean, I was listening to, because I, I did a review of uh, of the documentary with my buddy from England um, on the podcast. And something that I really just loved about that whole situation with Mark Hoffman, uh, who is a sociopath. Yeah. Um, he was able to dupe Gordon B. Hinckley in the first presidency, um, Dallin Oaks, everybody, into the White Salamander letter being, you know, a complete and total, uh, like, I mean, he proved the FBI that it was real, right? The FBI, yeah. I mean, he proved to them that it was real in the way that, like, he was so good at forging that he fooled the FBI. Yeah. Um, so the like way a cyclotron that tests and all that stuff. Yeah. So the way they actually like authenticate something is they will prove that it's not a forgery. And if it goes through those tests, then, okay, it's authentic. So he figured out a method like putting it into a oven at a low temperature, which would cook it like to a certain, you know, not so hot that it would damage it, but it would make the letters of the ink actually kind of crack and age or something like that. And so when they look at it, it would it would look authentic. Yeah. And it could pass through the the tests. Yeah, and it's absolutely insane that, I mean, it just, it, it, it for me, what that proved with Mark Hoffman and the White Salamander letter and, and, and everything else, proved to me that the church is on really, like, and, and when I say the church, I mean the institution of the church, um, is really not on solid ground or solid footing when it comes to their own doctrine and their own origin. Um, because Mark Hoffman was able to get Gordon B. Hinckley to look at it with a freaking magnifying glass <laughs> and, you know, the church was going to buy it and everything else. I didn't, I think they did buy it, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Um, they bought, they bought a lot of them, but they paid more for the ones that made the church look like a crazy thing than they did. That's what made him mad was he was finding things like pro Mormon things like, or forging them really, Hey, buy this. They would buy it, but they wouldn't give him what he thought it was worth. So then he got mad and was like, you know what? I'm going to start making these anti-Mormon documents that everyone's afraid of. And they were paying way more for those then. Yeah. Um, so are you thinking of the book uh, as The Poet and the Murderer, A True Story of Literary Crime and the Art of Forgery? Is that the book that you're referencing or that, um, that you talked about that it's based off of? I don't even remember, to be honest. I just remember in the book that I read it's called Mormon murders. Is that, okay. Are you Googling it right now? No, I'm not. I was just, uh, I was just looking at, cause they, he has a quote in here. Um, because just after Mark Hoffman killed two people, he goes down to the church office building in temple square to meet with Dallin Oaks. Yeah. And in, and he references the, the, the quote from the book and he says, I can't even imagine the rush given Hoffman's frame of reference that this would have given him to be there standing in front of one of God's appointed apostles after murdering two people 
and this person doesn't hear any words from God, doesn't intuit a thing. So well, if yeah, Dallin Oaks is like, you know, called of God, <laughs> like wouldn't a guy who just literally, just barely, like literally that morning killed two people and he meets with them to, to just talk. Well, um, and what are they talking about? Like, if, if you're going to kill someone and then you're going to go hang out at someone's office, like, why? What are you talking about? Like, after you just offed someone. Yeah. You know, it could be chit-chat, but what's weird about Oaks is that Oaks in the book, they this is one of the things someone told me isn't in the show. When the FBI wanted Hoffman, Oaks was hiding Hoffman. I think it was like two or three days. He hid them him from the FBI, wouldn't let them find him. And he was inter- like, not interrogating, but, you know, practicing like his... Um, answers for when the FBI interrogates you or whatever. And I'm like, that's weird. That's yeah. so weird. You know, he's like wanted. And when they went into the um, prophet's office, they raided the first presidency office. There were confidential FBI records on his desk. And I'm like, well, why wasn't he charged for that? Like, cause if I had those on my desk, I'd go to prison. Uh huh. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. They didn't reference that in the show. And I didn't know that that's absolutely insane. And yeah. so when you have a appointed apostle of God being an accessory to one of the biggest murders in the 80s or one of the biggest stories of the 80s, um, specifically in Utah for sure, oh, yeah. um, and he's, he's hiding this guy <laughs> who just yeah. killed two people. I mean, I'm laughing because it's utterly ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. That's what I do too. Sometimes I'm like laughing about stuff and I'm like, okay, it's not that I think it's funny because it's not, but it's more like, this is so bizarre that I, I have to laugh. Like it's just yeah. too much. It's, it's so nuts. It's so nuts. It really um, is. And uh, so he's talking about how in the letter, he's talking about how, you know, you know Dallin Oaks was this guy who basically – um, it was just dishonest, um, to put it bluntly. Uh, and he was also like a former Supreme Utah Supreme Court justice. Yeah. So it's like, dude, you know the law. Yeah. Like, you know, the law, like, you know, yeah, there's no excuse. Yeah. There's no excuse. He's willfully committing crimes. Yeah. Um, and so, and then he goes in on, uh, Brigham Young and, uh, a lot of times when people talk about, and again, we're jumping a lot of different subjects and we're touching on a, little, a lot of different things. Um, I remember being told this when I was a kid. That, not, not so much when I was a kid, when I was investigating the church. Because um, I had an issue with Brigham Young's rampant racism. Oh, yeah. Um, and I was told that Brigham Young was a product of his time or a man of his time. Right. But that we were too. We were told that too. And even about the polygamy, we were told like, oh, the underage marriages. I mean, oh, well, that happened a lot at the time. And when I got older and started doing research, I'm like, wait a minute. No, it didn't. And that's actually really insulting to the racism part to say it was part of the time. Yes, it was. But there were a lot of abolitionists. It. There were a lot of people fighting to, you know, end this racism. So it's it's kind of crazy to say like, oh, it's just a part of the times. Stephen Harding, who became a governor of Utah, we talked about him earlier he was an abolitionist. Like he was fighting to end this stuff. You know what I mean? So it's, it really kind of discredits people who, you know, like Harriet Beecher Stowe's own brother got assassinated for, you know, being an abolitionist and speaking about this stuff. Like there were people who really were fighting to end things that needed to end that were wrong. 
And so to say, oh, well, he was just a product of his time. No, he wasn't. And if he can talk to God, why didn't God just tell him racism is wrong? And also it's going to end. Slavery is going to end soon. So why not support that cause? It would be it would have been amazing to read Brigham Young's account if he had something along the lines of like, I just barely spoke with God and he told me in the year 1978, he's going to change his mind about black people. Yeah. Like how crazy would that have been? <laughs> By the I way, Brigham. I, yeah, it's an amazing play. Yeah. Um, but like, and he referenced, and Runnels references that in this, in, in the letter where he says, um, like he was told that as well. He's a product of his time. He's a product of his time. Like we need to, you know, kind of, it's all good. Like, you know, if you were in that age, you would be a racist too. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, you know, true or not true. Um, what I'm saying, or what he was saying is that like Brigham Young made it clear when he was talking, he says, I have never yet preached a sermon that and sent it out to the children of men that they may not call it or that they may not call scripture. So basically he said, I am speaking as the prophet. Listen to yeah. what I'm saying, dude. And so when it's like, okay, so you're talking about Adam God doctrine, you're talking about the curse of black skin and all this racism stuff. You're not being a man of your time. You're acting as God's mouthpiece. He was called that. He was called the Lord's mouthpiece yeah. uh, and spokesman. And they would call him, compare him to Moses, you know, who went up on the mount and got the Ten Commandments directly from God. Mm-hmm. This is why they called him, you know, the American Moses. Like he, he, he really did push this belief that I have direct communication with God and I only preach to you from what God wants. Like I'm just his little medium and God's word comes through my mouth. Yeah. So it, it's just really inconsistent. And it doesn't make any sense because this goes back to what we talked about last time. Like either it's Tuesday or it's not, Yeah, you know, like it's got to be one or the other on this because you cannot have both. You can't have both. No, you can't. And that's what's crazy is it's like, wait a minute, you say this, but then this, and they're too, it's not even like a little bit different. It's just too contradicting. But did you laugh when you saw the part where he says, why would I want my kids chanting follow the prophet with such a ridiculous and inconsistent 187-year-old track record? <laughs> yeah. And then he says something about later about, you know, like the Santa Claus thing. I was like, oh, this is like so like just blunt. And I appreciate bluntness because in the church, dancing around subjects, you know, like it's all you never get like clear, consistent answers or they change. And so I really appreciate people who are blunt and straightforward. And I was just like, yeah, some of the things he says, like what credibility do the brethren have? Yeah. Very true. It's so tough. And it's really hard to just sit there and think that all of this is just, you know. Lies built upon a foundation of lies. Yeah. I mean, to think of the, and this is me being blunt, like to think of this as true is not is it's not real and like it's just not like people always say it's like no i believe the church is true it's like what do you mean when you say that like what do you mean explicitly lay that out for me because i don't know what that means anymore because of all of this stuff like what do you mean by true because do you believe that joseph smith was a true prophet okay cool so that also means that you adhere to the belief that he lived polygamy but we didn't know he's not wait a second what are you talking about okay so brigham young oh no he was racist but he's a man of his time but he says that he wasn't and he was acting as god's mouthpiece so which is it what do you mean by true like i get so frustrated sometimes i'm like what do you mean 
Cause it's just dancing in circles. Like I, I literally would be like, can we not dance around all night? Like, can we just like get to an answer? Because it, it, it really makes your head spin. Like, I don't know about you, but like as a kid, I literally would be like, I feel like my mind is literally like a whirlpool right now. Like yep. I just went in for answers and clarity. And now I feel like I'm kind of weirdly dissociating from whatever I went in to get clarity from. I remember, just, <laughs> dude, <laughs> I, remember I remember sitting down with uh, some of my friends and uh, topics about religion came up, um, which was not uncommon for me when I was a kid. And I remember asking something along the lines of like, well, I mean, I wasn't like super young. I was, you know, maybe a teen. I was yeah, probably a sophomore in high school or something like that, 15, 16 years old. And uh, I remember asking like, well, we know that racism is wrong. So why, why does the church still like talk about Brigham Young as if he's like a really good guy? Like they named a university after him. They they named a few universities after him. I know. So like, why why is that still a thing? And yeah. they, and I and I was being genuine. I was like, why why not like this is ridiculous and like started to call it out. You know, I wasn't being antagonistic. I was yeah. just sitting there like, okay, so why why is that? I want I just want to know. I just want to know. Like when I was little, going to church at like 12 and asking the bishop, like I, I was the same way. Like I was just confused. Like, can you please like explain this to me? Yeah. So I think it sounds like you were doing the same thing. Like, hey, can you ex like, I don't understand. Yeah, I, it was it was completely and totally like, yeah, I just don't know. And I want to have some clarity on this. And then they gave me like my friends, uh, you know, not like one specific friend or the other, just like the whole experience of them kind of explaining it to me was me just kind of like, okay, no, I get what you're talking about. Okay, 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 man of his time. All right, that makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. All right, okay, we can we can give that a, you know, that gets a green light. And then the idea of the whirlpool that you mentioned, I was like, okay, so where's the answer to my question here? Yeah. And it was like 45 minutes later and I didn't have an answer to my question. So I just sat there and was like, okay, well, that was fruitful. So you, you <laughs> felt the whirlpool too. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, you're like, yeah. wait a minute. I went in for an answer and now I just came out and I like, they feel like we settled this and I kind of settled it, I guess, like in their way. Cause it's like the discussion's over. Like, okay, sure. And then you get outside and you're like, wait a minute, I still don't have my answer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I thought this would be like a quick yes or no thing. And it's been like forever. Yeah, and like, I still don't know what. Give I, me, give me clear cut answers. You guys talk to God, don't you? Yeah, seriously. Wouldn't uh, of all the things that would know God would know, right? Yeah, you would hope so. Yeah. Unless if that your God doesn't know, then I don't know what you're praying to, but that's not God. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and if that's the God that you want to pray to, that's cool. Yeah. You know, I kind of well, like the idea that God doesn't know things. Yeah. I don't believe in like the God's a man thing, you know, like I, my beliefs are totally just, I don't really know what's out there. I think there is something intelligent, whether it's like an actual thing or more of just like, you know, there's intelligence elsewhere. I have no freaking idea, but I just don't obsess about it. And I don't really care to be honest. Like yeah. what is like it, like I'm not on a quest or a crusade to prove that there is, or there isn't something like, I'm just like, whatever you want to believe makes you happy. That's all that matters. Yeah. But I also don't push my beliefs on other people. Like you got to believe my version of this, you know, I'm not knocking on their doors. Yeah. No. And they're, they're giving you the watchtower instead of a book of Mormon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next thing that he gets into, 
and I had no idea that these were a thing until I read the letter. I had no clue. But the Kinder Hook plates. Yes. I had no idea that these were even a thing at yeah. all. And it wasn't talked about. I had never heard of them. Um, and so when I was reading about this for the first time in the CES letter, I was like, wait a second, Joseph Smith found your, you know, came across these plates that just were, you know, kind of weird, but he jumped onto the idea that he was translating them and, you know, through the loins of Pharaoh and Ham, as in like Noah's son, like what is all of this about? And this is yet, this is yet another example of how Joseph Smith is just a complete charlatan. Yeah, so what actually happened with the plates was that they wanted to purposely prove he wasn't a prophet. So someone decided to make some plates and bury them. And then they went and had somebody else like, you know, digging for treasure, like, oh my gosh, I found plates. So then the story gets passed around and Joseph hears about it. And he's like, they're like, well, you translate these things, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So then he takes them and translates them. And then what's interesting is in the letter it says something about how like they didn't admit until you know 1980 that it was a lie but i was like dude they were admitting it when i learned about this when i was reading about this in an old book i was like they were already laughing at him then saying we duped you man these weren't real we made them or like our friend made them so why was the church still lying about that until 1980 yeah it's so and i that was i was going to say that exact thing is that like my favorite part about the whole Kinderhook plate story is that people in that time knew that Joseph was a complete and total hoax. So they're like, what's a way that we can prove to everyone that he's a sham and getting him on board with it at the same time? They just played his ego like a fiddle. And mm-hmm. so basically the Kinderhook plates, if you don't know, were these you know plates that you know kind of look like bells. Um, and there's six of them and they're double-sided and they have like all these scribbles and cool little, you know, etchings and markings on them and everything. And, uh, (laughs) these guys, yeah, like you said, you know, buried them, grabbed Joe. They're like, Hey, we found these cool things. You do this. Um, and they're a complete hoax, complete and total hoax. But people at the time thought that Joseph was literally translating these things and they contain the history of the person with whom they were found. He was a descendant of Ham through the loins of Pharaoh and all this other crap. And it's just so funny to know that people were just like, yeah, you know what? Joe's not really that cool of a dude. Uh, But like you said, it took until 1981 for the church to officially say that they were a hoax. So that is huge to me because the church recognized (laughs) that it was a hoax. The church recognized that it was a hoax, officially. Yeah. But they're talking, and they officially recognize that Joseph Smith lied. And that, yeah, that's yeah, that's another thing that's so crazy. Like they admit these things, but because our brains are kind of in that whirlwind, like we don't recognize. Like the longer I'm out, it's kind of like we talked about before. The more I see things clearly because I read about those, and I still didn't realize at the time. Like, wait a minute. So the church is lying. Like, you know, again, I didn't use the words lies. It's like you come up with these like dancing around excuses, but that's exactly what the church is admitting in, you know, 1980 or 1981 when they admitted this was a hoax. They're not admitting though, bluntly, okay, Joseph lied because he translated it and it didn't. And again, Book of Abraham, same thing. 
it wasn't a real translation. Yeah. No, it... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is the second time now this dude has said that he's translated something and he's not even been close. <laughs> he's just not... <laughs> he's just not... Uh, he's not a prophet. No. He's just not, guys. He's, he's just like not. the drunk dude at the bar that's like, yeah, like, bring it to me. Like, I'll do this. I'll do that. That's and you know, was like, you know what would be really cool? Hmm. It would be really cool if Mormons were just like, yeah, we believe in the fact that he was just kind of a cool guy in like a, you know, endearing way, you know, versus versus he literally talked to God, God yeah. on earth. Yeah. And that's what's scary is he had this, you know, blind worship, blind obedience. There's nothing wrong with believing that you have like a leader, a spiritual person. But when you are demanding blind obedience, blind worship, that's when things get scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's so malicious and it's just evil in a lot of ways. And man, this, the Kinderhook plate thing is just so funny. And I love how he goes immediately from the Kinderhook plates to um, testimony and spiritual witnesses. And he talks about how people have borne their testimonies again and again, talking about how Joseph Smith was a true prophet. Joseph Smith was a true prophet. Joseph Smith was a true prophet. Um, And how, you know, like, I mean, he, he has like a bunch of people's uh, testimonies that they've said during like t- fast testimony meeting about how he's a true prophet. But then that piggybacks off of the Kinderhook plate idea um, and just how it, it just doesn't make any sense. If the church is recognizing that Joseph Smith lied, then how can you say that he's a true prophet? Yeah. If he's acting as God's mouthpiece on earth, how can he lie? And you shall know them by their fruits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. It's so great. It's so it's so perfect and it's I feel bad. Do you feel bad ever when you're kind of poking holes through this stuff? Sometimes I sometimes I actually get sad to be honest. Like I think people think because I can talk about it bluntly that it still doesn't make me sad. Sometimes I like like one of the things that took me so long to finally start talking about it and writing about it is that it, it did make me still depressed. Even though I didn't believe it, it made me sad and depressed because I was like, I did believe it. And that hurt. it hurts when you realize like it's not true, you know? I, I, that's what I think people don't realize is I think they look at people like you and me and think we just woke up and we're like, oh, we hate all the Mormons and all the fundamentalists. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're going to attack them. And that's not true. It sometimes I read things and I literally feel sad inside because I'm like, this is so terrible and it shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't have happened. Um, and there are other times when I read it and I just like, there are things I just laugh about and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is wild. And I'm like eating popcorn, like in my little blanket, like snuggled up, like this is like reality TV. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, like I'm just like going off and loving it. So it just, it really depends, you know, it depends on what I'm reading and what I'm finding. My, my emotional reaction can be totally different on a different day. I don't get like depressed now, but when I was, you know, probably six years ago, when I was finding out about a lot of the murders and things that the an- my ancestors did, um, or like my ancestor's slave, who was blood atoned by Rockwell, I, that kind of stuff really broke my heart. And there were times where I would be like, I, I just can't right now. And I'd have to like set it aside. So, you know, that period, thank goodness, passed, but it it just depends on the day and it depends on what I'm finding. Like I could be, you know, like, wow, this is fun. And I could also be like, this is so sad, like so sad. 
No, it, it really, in, and the reason why I ask you that is because there's a lot of times where I feel, you know, saddened by the idea that there are millions of people out there that are drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah. You know, and is that, is that why you do it? Because people get mad at me, but I'm like, if I really hated you, I wouldn't give a shit that you are sucked into this and you're not being told the truth. Like, do you ever realize that maybe I do it because I know what it feels like to have believed something so intensely and been lied to? Do you ever think about like, maybe I'm doing it because I want you to at least be able to make a decision knowing the truth. It's, it's incredible how they make people like us to be their enemies because the truth is that I care because I wish someone had told me the things it took me so many years to find out the truth. And I'm still discovering the truth. Like yeah, there's yeah. always more, you know, yeah. it's like you said, like they're drinking the Kool-Aid and I think that they have been taught that people like us hate them. But like, I assume that you're doing what you know, you're doing with your podcast for the same reasons that I do what I do. I mean, the reason why I'm doing the podcast is because I just like hearing people's stories. And I do too. And, and that's kind of my, that's like one of my favorite things. Cause I just love story as a, as a concept. Um, and it stems from, you know, growing up in religion and hearing all these fantastic stories and being enraptured and completely captivated by, you know, people's experiences and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and if I were to, if you were to ask me like point blank, why do you do your podcast? I wouldn't have an answer for you. Um, there's like but, a lot of different reasons. Yeah, there's like, a lot. And you touched on one that I wanted to mention as well, where like, I, I don't like, I went through hell trying to find out who the hell I was when I was 13. And I had to, I, I, I mean, my friends, all of them, all of my childhood friends, except for maybe a small handful completely ditched me, right? My social system or my social safety net rather, completely fell apart. Um, people treated my family and my parents like crap. Um, and because they they found th through their own means, you know, that living in, in polygamy and in the AUB was, was not for them. And it completely, I mean, I still, I mean, I'm in therapy. Like, it's just, it's really tough for me because there's so much that, I have to work through constantly on a day-to-day -day basis that is still like rooted in how I grew up. I, um, I had to go to therapy too for a long time. So I totally get it. Like yeah, I, yeah. it and, took me a while to get over stuff. That's why I think, you know, I had to stop because this kind of stuff made me depressed at that point years ago. Like I had to take a break. Yeah. And get and, away from all of it. And maybe part of the reason why I want to sit down and chat with you about the CES letter and kind of just poking holes and claiming that Joseph Smith's not a true prophet and, and, you know, shouting it from the rooftops in a lot of ways, uh, is because I want to help people who are in that faith crisis, you know, uh, what's the, what's the phrase, um, spiritually in mentally out, uh, like, or whatever it is. I can't remember. Yeah. What, I can't remember what the terminology is. Um, but th there's people out there that listen to this podcast. They've reached out to me anonymously and have said like, Hey, what you guys are saying really helps. Yeah. You know, and, and when, I, I would, you, sorry, I, I would okay. basically be, I would be lying to say if that doesn't affect me. Yeah. You that know? when I've had moments like we talked about before, like when I've been like, oh, you know, what 
do I really want to do this? Cause some people get really upset, you know, and then people are like, Hey, I really needed this. Thank you for these quotes. Like, I thank you for doing this research. Like, and, and you know, and it made my transition easier. And I'm like, Oh God, thank God that somebody's actually, you know, if I can help them avoid the like years of unnecessary, you know, digging down that I had to do to find stuff. And also just to give them like support to know that like, it's totally normal to have these thoughts about things. You shouldn't hate yourself. I hated myself as a kid. I really did. Mm -hmm. I had such self-hate issues because I was, I was like, like you said, like taught and brainwashed into one thing, but my brain was also like, nah, this is reality. These are his words. These are his books, you know? Like, yeah. And so it, it was, it was hard because I, I didn't realize how much self-hate I had until I was probably like 25 and I went to therapy and realized there's a lot of stuff in my head still that's subconsciously there that I didn't realize, you know, consciously, I'm like, I don't believe that, but subconsciously it was there. And yeah, so it does, it does make me feel better when I realize like, we don't, I think when we escape that kind of life and we get past the struggle, we often just want to run away from it as quick. Like I did, I, I left and I didn't want to hear about it for a long time. I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm done with the church. Don't want to hear anything about it. But when you realize, you know, people currently are going through what we went through yeah. and we can give them space to, to heal, like, or just to know, you know, like I told you, people have reached out to me and admitted things and said to me, I've never told this to anyone, not even a therapist. And I'm like, it, it does make me feel, um, I don't really know the word, but like, I'm glad that I can give them a safe place that they can reach out and say something like that to me. Yeah, totally. And and if anybody is is listening who is in that spot, um, I just want to let you know that you're not alone, um, and that if you ever feel like you need to reach out and chat, like I, I I'm completely and totally available. Um, Me too. And and my guest is also someone who has been through a shitload, so reach out to her as well. Um, yeah. And uh, and we're not. I mean, we might sound uh, a little antagonistic towards the church and everything else too, um, which we are in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, uh, a but, hierarchy. I, I won't lie. I hate the hierarchy. I think they're terrible. <laughs> um, but just rest assured that if if you ever need uh, a space to kind of, you know, you know, say your piece, then we're, we, I mean, my ears are open um, all the time. And I just reach out. And if I don't reach out as soon, or if I don't get back to you as as soon as you would like, just let, I'm just letting you know that it's on the way. Um, but anyway, do you want to, you want to keep going with this? Uh, yeah. We, so I wanted to point out if you don't mind. Do you sure. Have, absolutely. So one of the things that was kind of freaky with the testimony and spiritual witnesses thing is the quote from the Bonneville communications about our unique <laughs> strength is the ability to touch the hearts and minds of our audiences, evoking first feeling and then thought, and then finally action and they're using this, you know, they even call it like the heart self. And they're admitting that it's a strategy, you know, for emotional advertising and stimulates response. But this is the same thing that Hitler would use at his speeches. He would get feeling and hate and fire and you get, it's a cult tactic. So when I was reading that, I actually highlighted it because I was like, that's not good. That's not good that their Bonneville Communications is a church owned communication company mm -hmm. that focuses on, you know, entertainment spreading the word kind of like that kind of stuff yeah and the, and and when people hear your comparison your comparison to hitler people will bristle right well i'm not saying that the the 
like what I'm saying is that Hitler, like the way that Hitler and people like Hitler get their audiences to listen and to kind of shut off the mind and stop thinking about morals and things like this is that they get them through this emotional, um, you use things and words and you usually use repetition like three times and you will push this narrative that will stir an emotional response, a deep one though. And so with Hitler, it is using it through hate. Mm -hmm. So the difference between the church and Hitler is that the church uses it through fear. So they will push the, everybody hates us. Our ancestors were attacked. You know, as a child, we had to see the show Legacy, which as like six years old, (laughs) seven years old, it was traumatic. I remember Legacy. (laughs) We're like all scared in these little seats, you know, and I'm like, they're covering it feathering him and he's screaming as they like tear you know it's just dude i I remember legacy (laughs) yeah you know what's sad i used to love that show when i got older when i was like eight nine i was like let's go see legacy like oh my gosh it was embarrassing yeah it's tough no and the reason why i mentioned like bristling at the comparison between hitler is because if you like if you want to have an, an example of an extremely effective orator Mm-hmm. Hitler's the best example. Yeah, and we're not saying that he's good because he's no, not. He's scary. Absolutely not. He is scary and evil. But it is true when you're looking at the psychology of like how to manipulate human beings, how to get them into this cult energy of get fired up, don't think, don't feel. Just People like Hitler it. and other leaders that are you know malignant narcissists, they they're really good at that. They're really good at. Yeah. And so the, the idea that you're talking about is basically like we are getting you to feel things and therefore that's justification. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Evoking first feeling first, you know, <laughs> emotional response and then thought and finally action. Yep. So that's literally the, you know, that's, that's what, what these said, yeah. groups do. It's not good. It's scary. And the, the main thing that I want to glean off of this, this one here is uh, he, he says something that just hit home so hard for me um (laughs) he says that this is the author talking he says i felt the spirit with a capital s i felt the spirit watching save it private ryan and schindler's list both are r-rated which are it's against mormon teachings to watch r-rated movies which is a kind of a funny thing in its own way um and they're both horribly violent movies Right. Yeah. He said, I also felt the spirit watching Forrest Gump. Maybe he just finds the spirit in any Tom Hanks movie. I don't know. Um, I bawled at Forrest Gump as a kid. So I (laughs) I felt the spirit there, too. I get what he's talking about. And then he says, and the Lion King. (laughs) I know. And then his question is basically, does this mean the Lion King is true? Does that mean that Mufasa is real and true? Does this mean yeah. that Forrest Gump is the is real and the story happened in real life? Why did I feel the spirit as I listened to the stories of apostates, quote unquote, sharing how they discovered for themselves that Mormonism was not true? Why is the spirit so unreliable and inconsistent? How can I trust such an inconsistent and contradictory source, with capital S, uh, for knowing that Mormonism is worth betting my life, time, money, heart, mind, and obedience to? And that was something that I was like, oh. That's yeah. Power, that's powerful. I liked when he quoted the thing about like when the bishop's trying to gaslight somebody into not leaving, and the guy's like, "Look, he's like, well, you know, you felt something," and he's like, "Yeah, I believed in Santa, and I felt that too, but like eventually you have to, you know." He's like, "I had this strong, intense emotional belief about something, and people would tell me it's not real, and I refused to believe it. Like 
I, I think he does a brilliant job of just laying things down. Yeah. Yeah, he's not afraid to just be like, well, I mean, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> yeah, like when he talks about uh, General Authority Dunn telling all these stories that made people feel the Holy Spirit, and then he's like, Dunn was later caught lying about these stories. They oh, weren't even his, true. His war stories, yeah. Yeah, they were all lies. So he's like, why would they be getting the spirit through these lies? Like, that doesn't make sense. And I was like, oh, gosh. Dang, it's powerful, right. man. I mean, he's yeah. he's talking. He's he's really pinning down the meat and potatoes of what people are really getting at. Like, oh, you know, uh, read, ponder, and pray. That's the best way to get a testimony. Read, ponder, pray. Read, ponder, pray. But then there are people who are all reading the same book, the Book of Mormon, and they're you know telling about how Wallace Smith is the Lord's true prophet, or Warren Jeffs is the one true prophet, or Thomas S. Monson is the one true prophet. So it's like, which, so That's what do you money. mean? So we're all reading the Book of Mormon, the same book, same same edition, same words, literally. Singing and, from the same hymn, too. You guys sing from the green one, right? Oh, uh, we had various colors of the of the hymn book. Um, okay. Yeah, we had, you know, we had brown ones, we had blue ones, we had navy black, we had black ones, we had all of them. Um, but like the Spirit of God, like those songs by Phelps and stuff, yep, like the yep. Spirit of God, like a fire's burning or whatever, mm -hmm. like those are the songs you're singing. So you're singing the same songs we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, same same hymn book, um, essentially. And uh, just older versions, just because we couldn't afford to buy new ones. Um, but like, it, it, it's just so weird that, there's just so many ways that you can just sit and be like, okay, uh, yeah, no, I, I believe in these things. So therefore that's what makes it true. And he references the quote from a psychotherapist at the very beginning that says feelings aren't facts. And there's a lot of people out there that say facts don't care about your feelings. And that's, you know, that's almost disingenuous in, in what they're trying to actually say, which is like objectivity is objectivity. Like if you, if I went up and I like punched you, for instance, <laughs> they're like, well, you just punched me. And it's like, well, I didn't know. No, I didn't. Cause I feel like I didn't. So yeah. like, well, it doesn't take away from the fact that he actually did. You know or what I mean? Or the spirit told me to do it. So it was right. Not wrong. Well, God, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't murder him. Nephi Laban. I didn't murder him. I saved a lot of people from, you know, delving into, you know, sin. Yeah, that's scary. That's scary territory. Yeah, it's just ugh. that's a that's a slippery slope. A oh, very I agree. Slippery slope. A very scary one. <sighs> yeah, but uh, the next thing that he talks about in the CES letter is um, the priesthood restoration, um, and this is one that also really rang true for me, specifically um, the Melchizedek priesthood, um, because I remember being told that Peter, James, and John you know, in spirit form, ordained Joseph with the Melchizedek priesthood. I was too. There's a statue at Temple Square. I think it's still yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So Peter, James, John, ordaining Joseph with the higher order of priesthood, the more holy mm -hmm. priesthood, um, in 1829, right? Is that is that what it was? Yeah, 1829. Um, um, well, that's the, that's the thing. What, what year was it? Because the truth is we don't actually... There's different versions because none of the people had heard of this. So like the version that we hear now, I don't even know if that's true of when it supposedly happened. I know 32, they say um, it's on 81, you know, it says that it was first heard at 
1832. Yeah. But Apostle McClellan said he never, I, I have his book, The McClellan Papers, fascinating, by the way. It's a really great book, but he says he never, like he never heard this stuff. And they didn't, this didn't come into like really pushing into the doctrine until around the 20th century, to be honest. That's when it really started getting big was they, they kind of flipped and put a focus on it. It wasn't a focus at the time. Yeah, so it took like over three years. So basically, um, Joseph Smith um, told the members of the church that he was ordained with the Melchizedek priesthood by Peter, James, and John. Um, and it took him three years to tell them after it happened. So he was saying like, oh, it happened like a while ago. It took three years to, for him to tell everybody. And then it just like... Well, he didn't he, tell everyone. They actually, some of his family didn't even know about it. But he, three years after it happened, it still was kind of... People didn't know. That's why Apostle, I think Apostle McClellan, he had never heard. He's like, I was in Kirtland until like 36. I never yeah, heard of it. Yeah. So it, it it just seems a little weird that he wouldn't, like, this is a pretty huge thing, right? Like talking to God. He didn't yeah. tell people about that either. Yeah. So he, this is a huge deal, right? Like the Melchizedek priesthood and the Aaronic priesthood, like those are kind of like the, the vehicle on acting through or acting with God's power. Right, and when you are ordained from Peter, James, and John, with the higher order of the Melchizedek priesthood, and John the Baptist with oh, I just smacked my microphone because I'm getting uh, I'm getting passionate, um, but John the Baptist gives Joseph Smith the Aaronic priesthood, and then he John the Baptist, as in the guy who baptized Jesus, <laughs> mm -hmm. and then Peter, James, and John, apostles to Jesus, give him a higher order of the of the priesthood. And he tell he doesn't tell anybody for three years. He, it's like it, Apostle McLellan's version is so interesting because he's like, you know, like I didn't hear about it. Like other people didn't hear about it. He's like, when I did finally start hearing, it was like little whispers. It wasn't like ever like, hey, I'm going to tell everyone at church. So it it was not something that Joseph was even like, hey guys, in front of everybody, I'm going to tell you something. It was stuff that he was like. That's the problem with Joseph. He would tell people certain things like, oh, Joseph, prophet, tell me something. Okay, I'll tell you this. Then, you know what I mean? And so then these whispers that appears to come about, they start to build. And then finally, I think, it's like it's just weird. It's like what you said, like, I don't know. It's a whole tangent. but It's an inconsistency. Uh, yet again, again, another inconsistency. And the yeah. one that comes to mind most with me, and like I mentioned earlier about how like this really kind of hit home, is because it wasn't given by P Peter, James, and John. Yeah. It was given by yeah. Lyman, Lyman White. Yep. He was and, an apostle. Yeah, he was an apostle. And he, you know, like, so why, and he references, this is from Rough Stone Rolling, um, which was written, it's a book written by an LDS, um, Richard Bushman. Uh, he's, a, he's a historian from the church. Um, so he asks, why did contemporaries say that the high priesthood was given for the first time in June 1831? Joseph Smith himself was ordained with this, quote, high priesthood by Lyman White. If Joseph was, had already, or if Joseph was already an elder and apostle, why, or what was the necessity of being ordained again? Yeah. Which makes total sense. Like, yeah. It does, like, why did, why does he need to have Lyman do it? when he got it from three of Jesus's apostles in spirit form. I know it, 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 this is like one of the things I can say about Mormon history is like, even when people ask, well, what about this belief? What about that belief? I'm like, 
Well, the truth is now I've read so many things that I don't actually know what the original beliefs were because they're so like, I know what I was told was true, but I don't actually know what is like a, the correct version. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's so many, um, you know, even talking about this, I'm like, wait, let me see what the letter says, because the truth is I've read from Apostle McClellan's papers that he didn't hear about it publicly or like front the whole time he was in Kirtland, Ohio. So, you know, it's like, I don't know which version we're talking about even with the facts. Cause they're so, you know, they contradict each other so much that it's just like, I, we know what we were told, but that doesn't mean what we were told is correct. So it's hard. It's hard to know. <sighs> it's head spinning again. You know, it's the whirlwind. You're like, wait, which storyline is right? Yeah, Cause they're which, all yeah, wrong. Which, which one are you asking? What are you saying is true? Because you're telling me like seven different things <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and claiming all of them to be true, but they could directly contradict each other. So yeah. like what's, what's going on. And, and I think, and we can end on this because uh, we've been recording for almost three hours. Um, oh, sorry. No, no, don't apologize. Please don't apologize. This is great stuff. Um, we get into, I mean, for those of you who are listening, you can go to um, the CES letter. You go to cesletter.org. They have free downloads in various languages. An audiobook is coming soon. A Kindle version is coming soon, all that stuff. And I'm just going to do a free plug for the CES letter by Jeremy Runnels. And uh, this is one of the things that kind of just blew my mind. Um, and we, or he goes in in very specific detail on a lot of different things about Mormonism, Mormon history, uh, what was said, what was did, what was everything. Um, and I think all of this, what we're talking about, inconsistencies, comes from the fact, the undeniable fact, that Joseph Smith himself was chasing his own tail when it came to everything. Yeah, he was a he was a he was a habitual liar, and yeah. when you have a habitual liar who's also a narcissist, um, he doesn't like like what we said. Like you, you don't have a good enough memory to keep track of all of your lies, mm-hmm. right? And. It comes from dowsing rods. It comes from treasure hunting. You have uh, James Strang with the Vori plates and how he you know, basically set up his own island <laughs> of, uh, you know, a, a colony of this new world order, um, stealing things from the Freemasons, uh, five yeah, points of friendship, which we kind of talked about last time. The whole thing, the whole, you know, endowment ceremony was, you know, it's all stolen. The original was identical. That's why the, Freemasons revoked their charters and kicked them out for like a hundred years or something was because it was literally stolen. Like that's what I was saying earlier. Like everything was stolen. Like do you, did you see the part in the letter about the, how to get a testimony? And he like literally says, use Joseph's as your own. And I started laughing when I read that. Cause I'm like, dude, that's exactly how the book of Mormon got written. Cause you just <laughs> borrowed from people and took stuff. You know what I mean? I'm like, you're literally telling us to do what the prophet so-called did. Yeah. It was just incredible. But yeah, and it's all carefully catered with a very nice uh, uh, veneer uh, to show that, I mean, it's so, I mean, it's, it's dialed in. It's dialed in. And in my personal opinion, it's a lie. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
it's a heartbreaking lie when you're in it, you know, you realize and it does hurt. It hurts so much. It's so heartbreaking. And that's why when people are like, well, why do ex-Mormons get angry? I'm like, do you realize how hard they believed it? You, it's just a natural process to be like, I have been lied to my whole life and I believed it blindly. Like it's, I think it's very natural for people to leave and have a moment where they need to, like, I took a step back because you do have anger inside. You're like, there's, you know, these lies and all these things. And like, if you're really truthful and good, why are you lying to everyone about it? Why can't you just tell the truth and let them decide if they want to stay? Um, and I think one of the things that just really, and again, one of the many things in this letter that just hammered home for me, uh, it's right toward the very end where he talks about, it's in the chapter called Other, um, and it says, Criticizing Leaders. Elder Dallin H. Oaks made the following disturbing comment in the PBS documentary, The Mormons. And this is a true quote. He said this in a documentary. This is from Elder Oaks. Good old Dallin. And, and this is this is a, a word for word. It is wrong to criticize the leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. That is so crazy to me. I cannot believe that he would actually admit that. Like, that is so crazy to me that and he would say that. what, I mean, people can, can formulate their, their own opinions on, on what that means. And the the consequences of trying and, and adhering to that belief, um, and if it's wrong to criticize the leaders of the church, even if it's true, then I'm wrong. Well, what's scary about having this quote that he admitted it, and you know they put it in the show, is that people who can't accept even healthy criticism are usually you know the whole narcissistic going toward that area that whole narcissism. And that's, that's really unhealthy. Like I, I've had people say things to me like, Hey, like you sounded kind of mean on this comment. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's not the way I meant it. Thank you for telling me because I don't want that to be that way or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, or sometimes I'll, I always have typos. I have thousands of typos because I do it on my iPhone, but people will tell me instead of being like, F you, like I like my typos. I'm like, ah, thanks for catching it for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, if you can't have healthy criticism, even and saying like, what, you know, you shouldn't do that. You should tell the truth or whatever. That's a scary sign for anyone. But when you can't take any criticism, like, Hey, that's not okay. You guys did this or lied or, Hey, you know, there's a lot of things you're telling people to do that that's actually legal. You shouldn't be telling them. That's a scary sign to me. Oh, it's unbelievably terrifying when you can't criticize your leaders. You are or on anything a, or, or anything you are on a fast track to destruction. Yeah. And in my opinion, the church right now is kind of on that track because they're, because of this letter, because of, um, the internet, the internet's the, internet the biggest and, threat to them. Well, and he talks about <laughs> right underneath the criticizing leader section. He says, researching quote unquote, unapproved materials on the internet <laughs> because, yep. uh, a few of the elders and a few people in the first presidency have talked about, uh, stay away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they talk about how, you know, the internet's not always true, which is true. <laughs> um, yeah. But they use it in the frame of like, like, so this is a quote from uh, Quentin Cook um, in uh, the October 2012 General Conference. 
Some have immersed themselves in internet materials that magnify, exaggerate, and in some cases invent shortcomings of early church leaders. Then they draw incorrect conclusions that affect testimony. Any who have made these choices can repent and be spiritually renewed. <laughs> Did you notice the first word? That's so funny. Magnify. It isn't, the first word isn't lies, it's magnify. So he's literally, you know, again, it's like these little slip ups, like instead of being like, there are, you know, people who are finding materials that lie. It's, it's not saying that it's saying it magnifies a situation. They don't want you to see it exaggerates. That's more of a lie, but I love how magnifies the first one. I'm like, "Mm." yeah, don't look at the details too close. Yeah. Did you see there? I literally, we talked about this last time there. They put that occasionally in like the Q and a of like their magazine. Oh, my husband's having a spiritual, you know, whatever, because he's, he's reading the history books. Oh, we don't recommend you read the books. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, why would you not want your followers to know everything and everything about this one true church? Yeah. If it's, if it is the one true church, everything that's about it should be true. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (sighs) I don't know. it's it's, crazy. So, it's so tough. So now the question is, and we'll and we'll end on this. What do you do after you read this and you have your own thing? I navigated my faith crisis in a way that I could only do at the time because I was 12, 13, 14 years old when it happened. Um I would say I was around that age. I don't want to get specific on the date because I don't want to be inconsistent. Um so 12, 13, 14 is what I usually say. Um, what do you do after you realize that this is kind of just a, you know, sham? Um, I suggest reaching out to people who have been through the same thing. Um, and Runnels also wrote another book called Now What? Um, this is just a shameless plug because I think what he did with this ES letter is extremely powerful and necessary. Um, so I'll advocate on his behalf in a lot of ways. Um so navigating life after the shelf breaks, um, check it out, see what you think. Um, and if you have any questions about whatever, or just feel like you need to talk, reach out. So thank you again so much for sitting down with me. Um, of course, as always, uh, in the event that you have something that you want to chat about again on the podcast, or as I suggested, Anytime. or as I suggested after we got done recording last time, that you should start your own podcast. Uh, I know. I actually had a few people like randomly re- like talk to me and reach out, and I'm like, that's kind of weird. A bunch of people at the same time. Not weird, you know, but synchronicity or whatever, because you said that to me, and I was like, I just talk like a valley girl, you know? Like, you talk very professional, and I'm like, 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 you know, like very, oh, no, it's very, I get excited, <laughs> and it just sounds really immature. No, no, I don't think so. You're, well, you're, you're, you're way, you're way, you, you have more information about Mormon history in your pinky toe than I do in my entire soul. So it's all good. Um, and I, again, appreciate you sitting down with me and I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to, I'm going to be a prophet for a second. I'm going to say, it's going to be really awesome to hear your podcast. <laughs> okay. There you go. There you go. Okay. Thank you I so just much. Gotta, <laughs> thank you. I just got to learn how to use things. I'm like a grandma, so I just got to figure it out, and then maybe one day we'll see. Oh, you'll figure it out. 